0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher.
1: And I'm Scott Galloway.
0: So, uh, what's going on with the with the economy over there? Trust looks like she's shifted again. What's what's happening? I need an update from London.
1: Uh, so effectively, they've gone back. They've decided to not change what they had decided to do was eliminate the top tax rate. Uh, so yeah. the idea again, trickle down Reaganomics That if we mm-hmm. have our most productive citizens give them more money, it'll all trickle down to people. And right. the market threw up on the idea. And also, I like this move, and I I'm I want to applaud the prime minister. I think mm-hmm. a step back from the wrong direction is a step in the right direction. So yeah. I I'm not. I see a lot of Twitter activity like you know what an idiot and oh that was mm-hmm. that was quick. You know what? Mm-hmm. What I like about what she's done. Mm-hmm. It, it, the majority of our leaders in the U.S. would double down. Oh, it's inflamed the other side. I'll double down. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay to say we screwed up. I like this mm-hmm. move. She, it was right. a bad move, and she's undoing it. Right. Good for her.
0: Right, yeah. There's a lot of economic pain coming, you know, in the in And Britain. the pound
1: recovered a little bit. Yeah. The market yeah. likes it.
0: Yeah, that's something Margaret Thatcher might not have done. I, anyway, I had a lovely weekend with Clara's third birthday. I had a lovely she's toddler three? birthday party. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It starts to get good from here. It starts to get good.
0: Well, yeah, and then she she's good the whole time. And then, well, it's my wedding anniversary. I I took my lovely wife out to a dinner at a beautiful restaurant, six course meal.
1: You guys have been married how long?
0: Uh, Two years. Two years. Two years. Right? Yeah, yeah. We've been together longer than that. But yeah, wedding. We had a little outdoor wedding during the pandemic. So uh, today is our actual anniversary. Same thing as Barack Obama's and Michelle Obama's. Just so you're aware.
1: I'm just impressed you remember your uh, your anniversary. I couldn't tell you when my anniversary was.
0: Oh, no. We had a lovely meal. It was really very fancy. It had a wine pairing. It was very nice. So I want you to wish Amanda a happy anniversary, and Clara, happy birthday.
1: Happy please. anniversary, Amanda. Thanks for jumping on that grenade.
0: <laughs> what about <laughs> Clara? We need a Clara one. <laughs> the golden child, give her her due. She's three. She got a oh, lot of lovely presents. She got a come bike. Come see she Uncle got a bike. Scott.
1: Come to yeah. London.
0: Yeah, Come to London. Yeah, yeah. Come see Uncle she Scott. Will. She would like, she got a tea set and a real, a real tea set and uh, also a bike, a, a, a balanced bike. So she's very excited. It was a very good. She doesn't listen to this podcast. So I will say we haven't. It's not her actual birthday for a day or two, but this is when the party was. I got her a uh, frozen headset, a uh, headphones. She's going to love me more than ever.
1: That's really shocking because the cracks uh, in the Vox research department came back and said that our two most loyal viewers are tech bros and three-year-old girls. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I also got you frozen headphones for Christmas, so I'm so excited to give them to you. you anyway. Know, I would wear wouldn't. those. Just, you would. Just they're as a conversation very, starter. They're very comely, and they'd show up well on that pate of yours, that pate. Otherwise, I fought against people who don't like Scott Galloway this weekend. It was stupid of me, but I can't stand them when they're just mean to you. I don't like it. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, you know what? I was really flattered. So what Kara's you- referring to is I wrote a, a blog post, uh, No numerous No Malice, on identity. And essentially— yeah. One of the things, uh, after writing this book, where I'm trying to identify the issues yeah. ailing America such that we can talk about solutions, I generally think our biggest problem, uh, mm-hmm. what I recognize is I think we've never been stronger geopolitically. I think if you're mm-hmm. an honest appraisal of where America is right now is we're mm-hmm. somewhere good to great uh, mm-hmm. externally relative to our competitive set, uh, food independent, energy independent, GDP consistent GDP growth. everybody wants mm-hmm. to come here. Mm-hmm. I think what really ails us, our biggest problem is, we don't like each other. We're turning on each other. yeah. And we no longer believe that Americans' greatest allies are other Americans, Mm
0: -hmm. that
1: if we're a horror movie, the call's coming from inside of the house. And I said, is there a way to enforce some sort of third party or or decentralized identity such that if Russian or Chinese troll farms come in and just try and create incendiary a content that pits us against one another, could you more easily figure that out and then screen out that shit or, or yep. vile content or what have you or promoting uh, a cryptocurrency through thousands of bots? Yeah,
0: you just put out some ideas, some of which people disagree with, which you noted, which you noted. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and what I find is similar to whenever you talk about 230 or crypto, there's an absolutist mentality where it's not, let's discuss the issue. It's like, okay, you insanely rich shithead.
0: yeah. I agree. That's what pissed me off.
1: They kind of go after soft... You can't respond. Like... Easy for you to say a person of privilege that doesn't live in China. It's like, okay, how do I respond to that? Yeah. And Mama Bear came out swinging.
0: <laughs> I did. I was like, you know what? Here's the thing. He's an insanely rich idiot, but he's my insanely rich idiot. There okay, you go. First of all. And secondly, like, that's exactly right. It was like, don't agree with him. But, and then he's like, because Scott influences scads of companies. I was like, uh, why don't you write about, like, I don't know, Tim Cook or, uh, you know, Sundar oh, no. Pichai? Everyone or- <laughs> everywhere
1: listens to me. God,
0: I know. I'm like, really? I'm like, Really? I mean, like, come on. Like, I wasn't saying minimizing you, but I was like, okay, first of all, you're using an insanely rich excuse, at which I'm like, weak, weak. Like, have an ar- actual debate. And this is a guy I respect, Mike Masnick, and he and I have argued about 230. I tend to be on his side on this issue, too. And then, you know, like the, the Jeff Jarvis of the world came out and had to have their say, patronizingly. But it's it was really weird. I was like, let's have our actual debate about this and talk no, about not it. But it's it was. not like, in that. Well, he's usually, I find some of his analysis, but lately he's been like, Amy Klobuchar's an idiot. You're an idiot. I'm like, you know what? Actually, I'd like to have an actual debate. And I tend to be on his side on a lot of things compared to you. Like, I disagreed with you last week because of that. But nonetheless, no one's going to do that for Scott. But, but
1: let's call, just call, call. bring this down. Was, right, we we right. do try to, like, reverse engineer to a learning here for a younger That's person. That's correct.
0: That is and correct.
1: the learning here for me is, mm-hmm. if you're not, I consider myself a thought leader, and I realize how arrogant mm-hmm. that statement is. If you're not on a regular basis saying things that really get a lot of pushback, then you're not saying anything, right? Yeah. And the key isn't to be right or wrong. The key is to catalyze mm-hmm. a conversation mm-hmm. that might result in productive dialogue that shapes and reshapes better solutions, right? And that's I get funny. it wrong all the time. And by the yeah, way, and you I, say so. I just didn't have the energy to go on last night yeah, and respond. That's to him. okay. I did it for you. What I would say is, I wouldn't get back in his face. I'd say, boss post where I got it wrong in the studies, Mm -hmm. and I'll retweet it. Mm -hmm. I I wanna get to a better solution. I I realize I don't have a monopoly on the truth here. But there has to be some, it's worth thinking about right now. Because there are too many people, I mean, you saw what happened with the Women's March, Mm -hmm. how Mm -hmm. bad actors got in there and basically ruined a woman's career and started reshaping people's view of the Women's March. Mm -hmm. There's gotta be a technical solution or new incentives to screen that stuff out, there's got to be a way to. I stop. would agree.
0: It's a complex topic, but nonetheless, you're a rich guy who's flying around like some like it was so insane. Like I was like, That's you, you've lost me on this one." Anyway, I defended yeah, you, and I think you should have. And I that. don't always agree with you, by by the way, FYI.
1: I don't always agree with me. I know exactly. I, sometimes I write shit, and I'm like, <laughs> well, I don't know about this. <laughs> I
0: was actually, I was doing some of it from the three year old party. I was like, "Fuck you!" Oh, would you like a cupcake?
1: That's why you were angry. Now I understand why you came in so hard.
0: No, no, I was just annoyed by that. I was super annoyed because we try to get to comedy here, which is really good. Anyway, um, there's a lot going on. Also, Amazon is uh, facing lawmakers led by Senator Elizabeth Warren want the FTC to block the company's acquisition of iRobot, which was interesting. Warren says the company's code shouldn't be allowed to just buy their way out of competing. An Amazon spokesperson said of the letter request, the letter contains a number of falsehoods and is broadly inaccurate, which of course they don't point to anything. But, you know, we talked about this. I don't know if the FTC will do this because it's a quite a competitive arena. Again, Amazon's being very canny in what it's buying. MGM, tough, kind of competitive in the entertainment business, tough in the, in the robot, well, vacuum business, I guess, what's up, what they're doing there. Home presence, I don't know what to call it.
1: This is a masterclass. Uh, I, I like Senator Warren. Do I like Senator Warren? Sir- I think she's fighting the good fight. But I think she's more right than effective. And I just don't think this is where they should be focusing their energy. Yeah. Uh, in terms of of uh, the, the antitrust case to go after, and what's going to happen is she's going to spend her political capital railing against Amazon because they're big and powerful, and that's not what antitrust is about. You're allowed to be big and powerful. Mm-hmm. Does this make right. the market less competitive? Mm-hmm. And I'm I don't know much about home appliances, but my 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 nascent knowledge of the home appliance market is it's there's no monopoly that's emerged. That there's Dyson, there's Hoover, there's there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And that this is where well, she decides to put her wood
0: drone. One there's I don't even know of another one. Maybe there's some from China. This is a very specific there's kind. Swiffer picker upper. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I know, that. but there's not that many drone ones. There's not that many drone. I don't know quite why this is the one there. Speaking of other legal issues, Kim Kardashian is settling a charge for promoting a crypto called Ethereum Max without disclosing that it was an ad. Kardashian was paid $250,000 for the post. Incredible. As part of the settlement, she's agreed to pay $1.26 million and not promote any cryptocurrencies for three years. First shot across the bow on this one. There's a lot of celebrities sucked into this.
1: I think this is foreplay to what will be a much bigger set of finds and investigations around people who are not transparent around their intentions when they go on media to try and pump the value of something. And her what's different here here is my understanding is she didn't disclose that that she had a position here or that she was right. getting paid. Right. Uh, But I think this is the tip of the iceberg, and I think what Mm -hmm. we're gonna stare down when we do the analysis, especially around SPACs, and we had all of these individuals going on media platforms and using our massive Twitter followings to essentially pump and then dump, Mm -hmm. I think that there's gonna be some sort of regulation, and I think it'll be warranted that says, all right, Mm -hmm. if you own over X percent of a company and you're on CNBC, making a compelling argument, and then using your Twitter followership to promote it and go after anyone who dares question you. And at the same time, you are selling like there's no tomorrow, mm-hmm. that people should have transparency into that. What I think the the rub here is that we're gonna find out so many people made hundreds of millions or even billions yeah. as yeah. others lost money. And that is the Adam Newman effect. Should you get mm-hmm. a commission on mm-hmm. other people's losses? Yeah. And, and it's right. always the same algorithm. I have a big Twitter following. I'm very charismatic. Media loves me on because I say provocative things. Mm-hmm. I make it such that I'm not on the board of the company so I can sell stock without making disclosures.
0: Oh, she's a paid she's a paid celebrity spokesmodel essentially. This is different this. because she right. she should
1: disclose that, right? But right. I think this mm-hmm. is a bridge to a broader conversation mm-hmm. around how do we ensure people understand not only your incentives but your actions when they're on mm-hmm. CNBC pumping a stock and that afternoon selling it.
0: This is interesting. Uh, Gary Gensler said Ms. Kardashian's case serves as a reminder to celebrities and others that the law requires them to disclose to the public when and how they are paid to promote investing in securities. There's lots of Floyd Merriweather was involved and there's lots of celebrities. Now, this is interesting. Her attorney said Ms. Kardashian fully cooperated with the SEC from the very beginning. She remains willing to do whatever she do, can assist this SEC in this manner. She wanted to get this matter behind her to avoid a protracted dispute. Uh, The agreement she reached with the SEC allows her to do that so she can move forward with many different... Different business pursuits. That also includes. She just co-founded a consumer-focused private equity firm with a with a former Carlyle Group partner, and they're looking to do a debut firm. She's doing a lot of stuff, actually. And so, yeah, I agree. I mean, she she they have gotten into trouble for versions of this before. But there's a lot more here. There's a lot more here, and I agree. In the SPACs area, I, you've been very um vocal on this issue.
1: But you said this. Uh, it's easy to stereotype. Kim Kardashian because of her physical appearance and just how mm-hmm. hot she is. Smart. I think she's actually a pretty savvy businesswoman. Yeah, she knew to get out of this, but but she handled it well. Mm-hmm. She knew she was wrong. She didn't double down. She didn't appeal it. She said she basically said, "You're right, I'm wrong. Here's mm-hmm. the fine. I apologize. Let's all move on." That she didn't have to yeah. admit wrongdoing. Yeah, she acknowledged the issue and she's she's paying it. She's not. I think she, it, it was a it was poor judgment. I mean, it goes back to the trust thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody fucks up. The the key is you don't necessarily need to double down. The SEC, the population, mm-hmm. everybody loves to forgive. Admit you are wrong, pay the fine, yeah. move on.
0: Yeah, yeah. And they they can make a case ever to scare other people, and there'll be a lot more. You'll see a lot more of this. Uh, it's very easy for the SEC to do these, by the way. They can they can make some money and settle very quickly with most people. All right, let's get to our first big story. Another big week in the world of Elon Musk. First, the court documents revealed private text messages between Musk and tech A-listers like Jack Dorsey and Joe Lonsdale, in which they discussed the Twitter deal. Joe Rogan, as we've talked about before, and even Gail King were in the mix. Among the revelation, Matthias Doppner of Axel Springer wanted to be Twitter's CEO, Elon pitched Oprah as a potential board member. By the way, that's been pitched before by Jack Dorsey. Um, He said that he shouldn't be anyone's boss. He also was in a discussion with Brett Taylor about bots. Mm And that was, to me, the more important thing. Some of this stuff is just kind of fun and games of them talking. But two weeks before he signed the merger agreement, he wrote to Brett Taylor, purging fake users will make the numbers look terrible, so restructuring should be done as a private company. And so I think it puts him in a very bad position in this court case. He's got to settle and figure out this $11 billion difference between what he agreed to pay for it and what Twitter's worth right now. He's He's got this, th- some of these texts are as I said, silly. The others are very significant, I think.
1: Well, I think you've zeroed in on it. And that is, this is celebrity porn, and it has some, it's illuminating about rich people in society, but the substance is exactly what you said, that he knew about the bots. He was planning Mm -hmm. to address the bots. It was a key component of why he was drawn to the platform was he thought that one of the ways he could add value was cleaning it up. This will be, the text you just referenced will be exhibit number Mm -hmm. one. Uh, uh, yeah. That Waadtel will put forward on behalf of Twitter's case that the notion that he somehow was shocked <laughs> by the number of bots, that yeah. he knew about it, and that he, you know, his interest in this thing waned when he came off his manic episode and realized he was paying forty-five billion dollars for mm-hmm. something worth probably eighteen billion. The, I mean, I'm curious to get your take. And when I read these texts, at first I thought, I should I be reading the texts of other people commenting? I'm like, well, it's part of a case. It's it's a legal mm-hmm. case. Sure. Yeah, a few things really struck me. The first is just uh, income inequality, and I know I know that sounds classist, but Larry Ellison offering a billion dollars on a deal he hasn't looked at over text—it's mm-hmm. like.
0: Well, Sam you know, Bankman-Fried also wanted to give money I mean, five billion. With that, just he'll come and fly out there, and then it'll be a handshake. And give you
1: five or ten billion dollars. Yeah, it's just yeah. like I mean, I mean, Kara, yeah, who hasn't had a friend offer him a billion dollars <laughs> over tax?
0: Would oh, you fly here and give me money, Scott? I mean, you know,
1: really. Uh, so I just want to. I was. I was want to bring this back to me in late. I think it was ninety nine or 2000, my company red envelope was struggling and we had to raise more money. And Sequoia came in and smelled blood and said, okay, let's wash out the founders and do a rights mm-hmm. offering. And I didn't have any money to defend my position in the company. Mm-hmm. And my friends, Greg and Cindy Shove, I'm ne- I'll, I'll always remember this. I was yeah. really stressed out. I was going through a divorce. I was broke mm-hmm. and I was about to get washed out of a company I'd started. You know, kind of the classic, the Silicon Valley story you don't hear about in, right. in Fast Company. And I was just so Stressed and disappointed on a number of personal and professional things going on in my life. And my friends Greg and Cindy Shop called me from the car and they said, Hey, we were just talking about you. And they said, Could you use a million dollars? What? Can you imagine that? I mean, they're good no, friends. I, yeah. But they called me and said, Could you use a million dollars? And you know what I said?
0: What? Yes. Oh. <laughs> and they
1: wired me the money. No agreement. <laughs> this
0: is a rich guy's thing. This Go is ahead. a rich guy's
1: story. And I paid <laughs> okay. them back. I paid them back with interest. But I remember thinking,
0: yeah. loan they loaned That them, was the nice. most
1: crazy yeah. generous thing. Yeah. And I, I, and they have taught me. I've tried to pay it forward on a regular basis. And now I'm virtue signaling. I call and offer people money when I get the sense they're stressed about money.
0: Oh, that's and interesting. I'm very and stressed
1: about money. So at the time, t- <laughs> nice try, nice um, try. Uh, you got a three. Clara to take needs care a of. new
0: pair of shoes. No, that's right.
1: <laughs> anniversary gift. See the kids; got forget the anniversary.
0: I got a beautiful gift,
1: and I thought that was the most, and it was extraordinary yeah. thing that had ever happened to me uh, yeah. uh, uh, on a like a friendship money level. Uh huh. This is Larry Ellison offering a thousand times that offering.
0: Although he was sort of pushing him off, like I'll get to you, like that kind of thing. That's how little it mattered to him. Yeah, I
1: mean these people. You want to talk about playing on a different level? So the first thing is, and I don't know what to do about it. And I realize I'm coming. This is class warfare, but I'm like Jesus Christ. These people really have this much money.
0: Yeah. Well, they all want a piece of Twitter. They all want a piece of – they were like, oh, I'd like to get a, a good idea, like a piece of Twitter. I could see that going through their little brain because they can't own – they can buy almost anything else. This they can't buy. So that would the, be. The,
1: the second thing is the Achilles heel mm-hmm. of every really famous wealthy person is they become so entrenched in their own bubble and they have so mm-hmm. many people around them telling them they're amazing. They just lose touch. Yeah, And the sycophantry yeah, a lot here
0: of- – yeah, there was is a lot of. It's so
1: overwhelming. Yeah. Just yeah. how, I mean, it's just like, let's just give everyone a moment to take his dick out of your mouth. I mean, it's yeah. just like, my God. God.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of it. There was a lot of that. But again, it doesn't matter. The one to Brett Taylor, I think I wrote him, whoa, uh, want to do an interview. I think that's what I wrote text. I mean, I didn't text him. I think I emailed him. Away from all of this and the Oprah on the board. Again, Jack Dorsey many years ago wanted to bring Oprah. Many times have they thought about Oprah on the board of Twitter Mm -hmm. when they were looking for a lady. But she's never, she's not getting near this. Let's just say Oprah's a little smarter.
1: The most interesting story is about my Mm -hmm. stalker in those texts
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Jason Calcanis.
0: Well, they're very close friends, just so you know.
1: Okay, his close friend. Two or three months ago, Matt Levine wrote that Jason was out there marketing access to the Twitter deal and saying that I can get you into the Twitter deal. And he was going to take a fee for it and then 10% of the upside. Mm -hmm. And and then, and I'm like, that sounds desperate. We even sat on the show. I said, that sounds kind of desperate that Elon has to get Jason Kalkanis, who deals in pretty small checks, to raise money for a $45 billion deal. Mm -hmm. Here are the texts must to Kalkanis. What's going on with you marketing an SPV to randos? This is not okay. Yeah. Not randos, I have the largest angel, syn- angel syndicate, that's how I invest. We've done 250 plus deals. And then he goes on to say, Morgan Stanley and Jared think you are using our friendship not in a good way. Yeah. This makes it seem like I'm desperate, please stop. Yeah. So Jason was out there marketing oh, the access tree. to a security that he did not have permission to market. Right. To me that well, I is I think
0: that was good for Elon though. He he him I mean, in that case, I was like, Good on Elon for doing that. I
1: think these texts on the whole actually reflect fairly well on Elon.
0: I would agree. I would agree.
1: Who they reflect poorly on is his
0: all his hangers on and friends and who were trying to get in on Then
1: him. Jason goes on to say, I'll I'll die for the sword for you, I'll jump on any grenade. Yeah, he they comes across like a man whore who gets caught stealing his watch and then yeah. drops to his knees, hoping if he fellates him, he'll forget about the Watch, yeah. he's just tried to steal. Too much?
0: Yes, a little bit, a little bit. That's very, that's how he talks. But in any case, I think what he's got to wonder is like who's his friends and who's not his friends. And I think that's hard when you're that rich. It doesn't matter, no matter what you do. I've said this to so many of these billionaires. I'm like, I'm your best friend because I don't care, like kind of thing. I just want the interview, of course. Anyway, one of the things that he does was he openly sparred with Parag Agrawal. Oh, yeah. He, obviously, if he is forced to buy it, Parag will not have the job. I continue to believe, and I've been texting with people who Know, um, you know, Ari Emanuel like entered yeah. the picture. That's a probably a good idea to have someone who's not a who's a who's close to Elon who will he's very convincing and charming. There's all these uh, relationships, Ari, between Ari and Egan Durbin, who's on the board of Twitter or what's it? He's on the board of Twitter still. And he also was, I think on. he was very close to Ari through the WME deal. I believe he's still on the board there. He may not still be, uh, but he was very integral to that deal. There's all kinds of interpersonal relationships here. If they, if Elon was smart, he would let, People who are smarter make deal. Smarter on this stuff, make the deal and and get the hell out of it. There's an eleven billion dollar delta, so somewhere between zero and eleven billion dollars, there's a number that he should take and run as but fast there's, as he can.
1: But you bring up another key point: is that in addition to trusting people or having third parties a do. I used to think when I was younger, I was too smart, and when I did an M and A deal, that I mm-hmm. like I would do the deal myself, and I quickly learned that's really stupid. You, the, yeah. There's a reason why investment bankers make so much money. And yeah. third parties are better at representing you than you are yourself. Right. There's another lesson here, and that is you have to have in your circle people who are prone to disagree with you. Yeah. And the, if you look at corporate governance history, whether it's Theranos, whether it's Enron, the boards all had one thing in common. They all got along too well. They yeah. all agreed with each other yeah. on everything. All the board meetings were super civil. Great point. That's what we should do. Never questioning the CEO. Yeah. Just go along, get along. And this guy has absolutely no guardrails. He's got a few.
0: That's not true. There's a few people around him that do. I, I just hope they get some voice.
1: They're not texting him.
0: No, but I think Ari Emanuel and Egan Durbin will probably, they all want to have good relationships with him, but I suspect they will be, Ari will be charming and also tough. And so, because he's always looking for the angle, right? And same thing with Egan, very smart investor from Silver. Like, just uh, I, I would, Elon, if you're listening, please listen to them. Just do ha, get get to a settlement here, because if not, it's going to just drag on and going to going to occupy your life.
1: I don't think he can.
0: I think he can. I think he can. I, through these texts, I was like, oh, there's the Elon I know. Yeah, there's but, the Elon I know.
1: But play it yeah. out. But play it out, Kara. Say he offers mm-hmm. him ten billion dollars. Mm-hmm. the shareholders go, no, this deal, his, this legal case against him that he's going to lose is worth $20 billion, And I don't think he's going to pay that. Well,
0: there's an $11 billion delta. So I yeah. don't know. I think everyone's going to want to like, if not, they're going to end up with nothing. Everyone's got to be very clear. If they, if they keep going at this, they're going to end up, you know, they keep fighting and everyone's going to end up without anything. So
1: two other observations. Okay. I haven't been involved in a deal this big, but I've been in mm-hmm. the center of Like multi-hundred million dollar, even low single-digit billion-dollar deals, Elon went from going on the board to deciding he was going to acquire the firm. And he, when he decided he was going to acquire the firm and no longer wanted to be inside the tent, he put out a Mm -hmm. tweet saying, "Is Twitter dying?" And then Parag, I thought, sent exactly the right email. He said, "Look, boss, you you can say what you want, Mm -hmm. but you're not helping." (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. I thought that
1: was direct. I thought that was CEO behavior. Yeah, Parag's
0: like that. That's his nature too. Very.
1: And Elon wrote back, "What have you done this week?" What have you gotten accomplished? And I thought, you know, that 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 was kind of an asshole move. You don't like him. In most, I've dealt with corporators who are very aggressive. They maintain a certain level of decorum, respect for other people.
0: uh, It's not like him. He's very direct,
1: and Elon doesn't do that. The other big observation, Mm -hmm. I believe, if you got a room of people who make okay livings but aren't rich, and then you got a Mm -hmm. room of millionaires together and I I realize this doesn't sound great, I think you could immediately figure out which room were the millionaires and which room were the people who are just doing okay. Mm -hmm. I think if you had two rooms with millionaires and one with billionaires, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. (laughs) And the thing that comes out here is these people are playing checkers, not chess. They're impressive people, but the reason they're billionaires and not millionaires is mostly luck, it's mostly not their fault. And when you see the way they behave, the way they acquit themselves, It's pretty obvious. There's no secret sauce there, other than being born at the right place in the right time.
0: Well, I don't know about that. I some of the people I was listening to a, 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 an interview that I'd forgotten that Steve Jobs did with Walt and I and it's so smart. This, 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 this. He was talking about uh, making mistakes and also iterations in tech. And I'm going to send it to you because I was like, oh my god, this is this guy really did have a big mind, like in terms of thinking practically. And he was talking about oh, oh it was really good about where to make the risk, where not to make the risk. It was so well thought out. I think some of them are, and I think among these people, when you get him going, when he's not in this weird celebrity bubble, he is very smart like that. You can have a really fascinating discussion. I think the problem is this: these suck-ups that these texts showed you. You should see this all day long. All right, hey- dude. Hey, bro. Good job. Woo. That kind of stuff. And sometimes, I, you know, he deserves a good job, like landing that rocket on a thing. I'm yeah, sure I impressive. sent him a text that said fucking impressive. Like, yeah. But it's not, it's not because I wanted anything from him. It just was. And you should acknowledge that. The
1: relationship between intelligence and wealth is positive. Mm-hmm. There's a correlation, but it tops mm-hmm. out at about 110 or 120 IQ. The difference between intelligent people and geniuses, there's no correlation with wealth. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are a lot of the the really impressive comments you just highlighted from Steve Jobs. I can find you a lot of people who are just so strikingly impressive, and they've made a really good living. Mm -hmm. I have never been able to discern the difference between someone who is successful and someone who is a billionaire, other than luck.
0: Yeah, that's the problem you have with me, right? That's the thing. I'm brilliant. <laughs> well, anyway, why isn't she a billionaire? <laughs>
1: Case in point. Case in point. I, anyways, all right. I, they put their they put their pants on one leg at a time. You know, that you know. Whenever true. I get, I don't know about you. Uh, whenever I get, occasionally I get an offer. Someone will say, "My husband loves the show and is dying to meet you and wants advice." And I'll mm-hmm. I'll donate X to charity. I never send out because I'm like, they're gonna be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Your your husband has this vision of me that's just not reality. Oh,
0: don't be mean. I meet with everybody. Not being mean. Not being mean. Be nice to your fans. Be nice to your fans. They're nice to you. Anyway, let's go on a quick break. When we come da-da. back. Tick, Sorry, <laughs> when we come back. TikTok's European numbers are out and they're huge. And we'll speak with a friend of Pivot, Gabriel De Benedetti, about the hidden sides of the Biden Obama relationship. Uh, We're back. TikTok is tallying up some huge gains and losses in Europe and filings with the UK. The app reported close to a billion dollars in turnover for 2021, according to the Financial Times. Uh, That's nearly six times its previous take in Europe. On the other hand, it lost nearly $900 million. The company says the staff compensation was the primary cost. It's been hiring like crazy. I spoke with TikTok COO Vanessa Pappas out getting certified by the Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S., Should TikTok go through a similar process for its European businesses? I did ask her and she didn't answer. She was much firmer. I asked her what she would have said to Josh Hawley if she had thought a little harder. She was talking about the reductive nature of those things and everything else. She did Mm -hmm. a pretty, she was pretty good in this interview. Very strong. They're thriving in Europe. They're thriving everywhere. They're losing money, certainly. But it's certainly a business on the upswing and certainly would be able to be profitable, presumably, as long as they get these go-aheads in these countries. What What do you think?
1: it's it's unprecedented this firm I mean keep in mind okay a billion dollars and it's still losing money the mm-hmm. year before years you know years ago click by pretty mm-hmm. quickly they grew 500 percent this firm yeah.
0: Yeah. is growing much Europe, faster
1: yeah. revenue wise mm-hmm. revenues mm-hmm. Uh, users daily active users are all growing faster than Google or Facebook did at a similar point in those companies' history So if you just take a straight line out, this company should be, if it can maintain this trajectory, it should be one of the three or four most valuable companies in the world in five to 10 years.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's really interesting. I think that they, they I think they're going to be a little more aggressive on the attacks like you saying they should be banned. A very impressive executive from Google was former Google executive worked at YouTube. Really does know this creator economy very well. Perfect choice for them in lots of ways.
1: Well, how did she surprise you? I'm curious. What was your takeaway after talking to her about all this?
0: She was quite forthright about their efforts and I thought she could have done the Facebook thing and she didn't. Mm-hmm. Very canny person, I think. I think she answered pretty much every question. And I, there were a lot of tough ones in there about the banning. And
1: Does she want to spin? It seems to me that'd be the answer.
0: No, they do not. That's not where they're going. It's going to be owned <laughs> by ByteDance. I think that's not where they're going. I think, of course, she didn't answer the IPO question because, of course, she'll do very well and others. I, she she was uh, a little lighter on who's really running it and who has the things, but she said they don't have... Control of it in U.S. decisions in China. That said, she got a better answer about the Chinese Communist Party members, uh, as we talked about. You know, Apple has probably has a few. She can't ask them that. It'd be silly not to say they aren't there because mm-hmm. there's lots of people in China. I thought she answered well. I think they will pass the U.S. rules that they need to uh, with adequate protections. And I don't know what'll happen after that. I don't. I, she she seemed to push off an IPO or a spinoff. Right now.
1: But let me ask you you know, I I think you you sort of have an inside Mm
0: -hmm. track
1: or view into a lot Mm -hmm. of different parties around this issue. Mm -hmm. Do you think ByteDance ever gets public in its current form without severe? Does this happen? Did you ask her about that supposedly the deal they're working on with Biden? I've heard rumors there.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she said they're working on it and it's going to come soon. She was very clear. She's like, they're going to have a deal where it's going to be safe. The information is safe, she said, and it will be very clear and transparent, safe. No, she didn't pretend there weren't issues on TikTok and it's the friendly. She goes, we are trying to be the friendly entertainment brand um, and we're going to get all kinds of the same crap that ends up on Twitter or Facebook we're going to get and we have to move towards getting rid of it. She very clearly understood the worries and was not acting like it was stupid, any of it. And of course, that's what you should do. So there you go. She's
1: an impressive woman.
0: She is. She was very impressive. One of the things that she did note, that a lot of the ownership is foreign. I brought up the issue. There's a branch of ByteDance, the ByteDance tech that the government official sits on the board of. Uh, this is one of the divisions, separate division of it. And she's, she made the also salient point that a lot of ByteDance and and this company is owned by U.S. owners. There's all kinds of U.S. owners of this thing. Do you still believe in a ban if they're approved by the U.S. government?
1: If the U.S. Yeah. government, with this administration, I find them to be very thoughtful. I had a chance mm-hmm. to sit down with some representatives of our Cyber Command at, mm-hmm. at the Code. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're smart, thoughtful people. If they sign off on something, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I would just be prone to to say I think they've done the, the homework. And uh, mm-hmm. also, I, you know, when you're on. When you're uh, on Code on stage, or you're on Bill Maher, and this mm-hmm. is one of the many things I need to work on, I'm prone yeah. to being provocative to get attention. You are, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't. But I, lots I, of
0: people said the same thing at Code, not just you. But go I ahead. know.
1: But what I what I'm increasingly uncomfortable with is the idea of using the terms "ban" and "media" in the same sentence.
0: Yeah, you. And I said think, that it's a bit of a shift. Yeah.
1: And I think that there is there's got to be some sunlight in between here, but yeah. I still go back to the notion that. It, <laughs> You're going to have to separate the product and the ownership, but the ownership has a direct yep. influence over, or the CCP has influence over it. I just or could. I can't get over how powerful this thing is.
0: Anyway, let's bring in our friend of Pivot. Gabriel De Benedetti is a national correspondent for New York Magazine and the author of The Long Alliance, The Imperfect Union of Joe Biden and Barack Obama, which looks at the often misunderstood relationship between the two presidents. Welcome, Gabriel.
2: It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So uh, what do we get wrong about the Obama-Biden relationship? Because people tend to have their thoughts about it. We think of it as warm and friendly. They did all those videos, getting ice creams, things like that. Can you talk about it? I was having a discussion with someone about vice presidents, including Vice President Harris. I'm like, they never really get along. They're there yeah. to replace them. But what, do you, what what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I think you, you're sort of touching on the central tension here. The public perception of this relationship is that it's a bromance. That's what people mm-hmm. have called it for a long time. That's mm-hmm. partially true. It's definitely true, as I've come to see it, that it's the closest relationship between a president and vice president or president and former president, you mm-hmm. know, in modern history. Uh, but that's a really low bar. Yeah. And the reality here is that they are friends, which is unusual, but it's a political relationship before anything else. And it has been for over 20 years now. You know, these are two men whose relationship has fluctuated wildly, often behind the scenes in ways that are not known to the public um, mm-hmm. and who see the world very differently at times, whose perceptions of, you know, ways that you make change are very different. And even to this day, it's not as if Biden is calling Obama that often for advice. They still do talk, but it's mm-hmm. much more like therapy than it is, mm-hmm. uh, you know. What should I do on this bill or who should I be calling on mm-hmm. this? So, you know, they're they're vastly different men, as we've come to see by their times as president. And that has borne out over, you know, their they're tw- 20 years of knowing each other now. So for me, the, the reason that I decided to write this was basically, you know, when Biden won, so many people were saying this is going to be the third term of Obama, or at least the tone of the coverage was Obama's mm-hmm. back, baby. You know, the last four years didn't happen. As we've seen now for two years, that's clearly not the case.
0: No, they're not at all the same. I'm just curious, um, and then Scott will have a question, is, you know, Bush and Cheney certainly had a close relation, but that was more like like master and submissive sound, it felt like.
2: <laughs> sure. But by the end of their time together, they really didn't have much of a relationship. Uh-huh. Um And, you know, if you look back, Gore and Clinton, obviously, same sort of idea. They did not have a good relationship by the end. You mm-hmm. know, the only other one that you can kind of compare this to in terms of president and former president, not president and VP, is the Bushes. But of course, they had a very complicated relationship, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously, they're father and son. So different different to start here. Mm-hmm. Um But there's, you know... Like you alluded to at the beginning, the fact of the Biden and Obama relationship being this one that we sort of hold up in the public consciousness as what mm-hmm. it's supposed to be, it's really sort of been unfortunate for the for the Harris vice presidency mm-hmm. because so many people say, well, why aren't they so close? Well, the expectation was never that they were going to be best friends until the Obama and Biden years. But we yeah. can talk more about that. Yeah.
1: is Isn't that a relationship that's set up to fail? Because you, what you have is two adversaries that you choose your VP, not because it's someone you're going to get along with. You choose your VP because it's someone – who's shown the ability. I mean, I think I think Vice President Harris is Vice President. She got on the debate stage because she's incredibly impressive, or at least her resume. Mm-hmm. But the reason she was chosen as Vice President was she, she really went after Biden and was effective. I mean, doesn't the relationship just start from a position of failure?
2: Well, these two certainly didn't have a relationship that started it wasn't even that it was a failure from the beginning. It was like a non-entity this relationship. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. they knew each other in the Senate obviously, but they just didn't have any reason to really care about each other for the longest time even though they mm-hmm. worked together on Biden's foreign relations committee. Um mm-hmm. so it took a really long time and you know when when Obama essentially decided he did want Biden to be the one to to be his vice president. First off, Biden didn't really want to be considered partially, you know, artifice, but the reality was he didn't think he'd be a very good number two. He'd been in the Senate for 36 years. You know, why would he want to, for the first time in his life, be someone's second in command? He thought he could be secretary of state, which is a much better job in terms Mm -hmm. of autonomy, at least. But then, you know, when it came time for them to actually have their first conversation about this, Obama said to Biden, I need you to just promise me that this is the capstone of your career. That's the only way this is going to work. And Biden's response was, oh, not the tombstone, the joke being, okay, this is the end of the career. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but they never really hashed that out in a serious way. And in fact, if you look at the New York Times story from the morning after Biden was chosen, one of the final lines says something to the effect of, you know, it's really convenient for Obama that he's not going to have to worry about Biden's political posturing because obviously Biden is going to be too old to run for president after their <laughs> eight years together. You know, at the time, that was conventional wisdom. That's certainly what yeah. Obama thought. Uh, almost immediately, though, their their differing views of politics. Now, it's true that they agreed over the long term on a lot of policy points, but they definitely mm-hmm. disagreed a lot over their eight years together in terms of how to actually achieve those goals.
0: So, Gabriel, what's the actual state of the relationship today, and how how helpful can he be to to Biden Obama in twenty twenty four? Obama's sort of been wandering around doing podcast deals and being. A friendly guy, but not particularly political, I would say. Yeah,
2: he's doing a little bit more than he expected to be doing yeah. at this point in his post-presidency, but that's a Trump thing, not a Biden thing,
0: yeah. obviously, mm-hmm. a
2: reaction to the Trump years. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few different answers to this. The short version of what the relationship is like now, you know, Obama took a long time to get involved with Biden 2020, but he eventually mm-hmm. did and was very useful to him. And at this point, they're sort of talking every few weeks or so, but it's very informal, Uh, Mm -hmm. Unlike any other call that Biden has, except for a family member, no one else is on the call when he does these calls. So it's very hard to get a readout of what they are because Mm -hmm. they are personal conversations. But it's much more gut checks. It's like I said, someone once referred to it to me as uh, political therapy. Um, mm-hmm. he's not saying, what should I do in Afghanistan? What should I do with this bill? Um, and Obama has said that he's going to be as useful as, as Biden wants him to be. And he, he's not offering advice unprompted. Um, he is trying to live this, live his own life. He's got his own projects. He's trying to be a post. Mm-hmm. He's the joke or even before he became president that the best job in the world wasn't president. It's the. Ex president, yeah, so he's like he's big been big thinking about this for a long time. What he would mm-hmm. do is as, as a post president, but the question of twenty twenty four is a really delicate one for both of them,
0: and the midterms too, because I assume <laughs> he he's got more of a draw for the midterms and is totally than Biden does. Correct,
2: no doubt. And he's going to be out there. He's already said that he's going to be out there campaigning for folks. He's endorsed some people. He's cutting ads. You know, same as always with him in the midterm. Same thing he did in twenty eighteen, mm-hmm. except that this time he's he's talked a little bit more about. To people who are, you know, trying to figure out what his presence is going to look like. He's talked about more what it would look like for him to have more of a presence when it comes to talking about the future of the democracy issues. He talks about disinformation a lot. And one thing I think we're going to see him do is campaign for or cut ads for or endorse even secretary of state candidates in mm-hmm. the midterms, you know, all the way down the ballot to that, because those are the people who are administering the elections in 24. Yeah. But when it comes to the question of whether Biden should run in 24, you know, they actually have not discussed it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some reporting to the contrary, but they haven't discussed it. And one of the reasons is Biden doesn't really think it's a question. He thinks he's going to run again. Mm-hmm. Um, but the mm. more, more probably important politically question is. Presidential elections are difficult for them to talk about, because the first time they had to have this discussion for real was 2016. And that's when Obama essentially pushed Clinton to run over Biden. Now, Biden obviously had the personal mitigating circumstances. His son was very ill and then passed Mm -hmm. away. But Biden saw very clearly that Obama also had made a political calculus, which he did, which was, I don't think that Biden is the right person to succeed me in this moment. He He didn't think he was the future of the party or of the country. And then in 2020, it took a really long time for Obama to get on board with Biden as well. And at one point they had a conversation and Obama's version of dissuading Biden in 2020 was essentially to say, I mean, this is late 2018. He said, you know, Joe, you really don't have to do this. Then Biden essentially said to him, Sorry, Trump's the president. I think I have a good chance. Yeah, it a bit, by, you know.
0: Obama. Bad calculation by Obama in my. Estimation. And, and of
2: course, Obama at this time was talking to every other person on Earth who wanted to run for president because he had mm-hmm. said that he was willing to. So, you know, Biden took a lot of this stuff pretty personally, even though he tried mm-hmm. really hard not to. Right. Um, So which is all a long way of saying it's not shouldn't be that surprising that they're not talking about 2024, because if you're Biden, you know, the public image might be that they're best friends and they're advising each other on everything. No, I don't. But think so. but clearly not. Right. It's not as if he yeah. would go to Obama as a as a first yeah. of call for should I be doing this again?
0: Yeah. As someone who is a Beto fan, Scott, what do you think about this?
1: <laughs> so I'm curious, Gabriel, whenever you really uh, get to know a relationship between two presidents, it's going to yield insight about the individual presidents. Is there one or two things you can tell us about President Obama? Or President Biden that would surprise us or that surprised you?
2: Sure. I think one of the things about Biden that has surprised me is he is a lot like the public image that he has tried to portray for himself. And what I mean by that is he is someone who genuinely does do things like read Irish poetry and think of himself in these historical terms at this point. And it took him a really long time to do that. He's someone who is, and this is a related point, very self-conscious thinks, you know, he's been very, um, wary of how other people view him his whole career and has been, in fact, you know, very, um, self-conscious about not having an Ivy League education for, for one thing. He talks about that all the time behind the scenes still. Um, but at the same time, you know, now he has been thinking a lot about what am I in history? He doesn't like to say that out loud because he understands how it sounds, but that is really how he, how he is. And with Obama, I think, uh, people might not because of the public perception of how his post presidency has been, people might not understand this, but I think he has been changing a lot in his post presidency as he thinks about what he represented. Mm-hmm. You know, he obviously still thinks that he was a very successful president, but I think that he now sees himself on this continuum of history, uh, much more, uh, precariously than he did before, because mm-hmm. of course the Trump experience has you know, thrown into some serious questions where, what the, you know, what the Obama legacy yeah. will ultimately be, especially mm-hmm. if Trump comes back. But Obama remains this sort of like singularly self-confident figure, uh, mm-hmm. in American politics. And that really comes through even as they discuss, even in their, you know, private conversations over the course of their relationship. Um, and even in the earliest days, you know, I tell the story in the book, but the first time they ever met, Um, one-on-one or ever sat down was when Obama wanted to join the Foreign Relations Committee as a brand new senator, 99th in seniority. Biden invites him over to his office and essentially says, sure, yeah, um, you know, come on over. We'll talk. And obviously, Biden's going to let him on the committee because he can see that he's a rising star, even if he's not so sure about him. And at the end of this quick conversation, Biden says, well, I got to go to Wilmington. You got to go to Chicago. But this is good. Let's go, let's sit down and have a proper dinner sometime and get to know each other. And Biden says, you know, we can just get this. uh we'll, we'll, I know a cheap place, cheap Italian place here on Capitol Hill. It'll be great. And Obama. And, and Biden told a version of the story, one of his books, but he didn't tell the whole story. Obama sort of rears back up and says, wait a minute. You know, what do you mean cheap Italian place? We can go somewhere nice. I can afford it. Because yeah. Obama is, of course, thinking, well, f- for one thing, Obama has money for the first time in his life because mm-hmm. Random House is going to reprint his book. But he's also thinking, who is this old school guy, this older white senator who thinks he can talk down to me and thinks I need to, you know, eat at some cheap place? And he says, I can afford it. And Biden, meanwhile, is taken aback then and says, well, who does this guy think he is? I I can't afford it. You know, I'm the poorest senator. So they walk away from that first meeting both thinking this other guy is so presumptuous. Uh, And they, of course, didn't, didn't set that dinner date. It took them a long time to really truly understand each other.
0: Yeah, he didn't mean it that way. Of course not. No, anyone knowing. And and Obama is certainly self confident. And I don't mean that in a positive way. Having interviewed him several times, it's one of his failings, I think, in a lot of ways. So you've also written about Florida's governor's race. How will the Hurricane Ian response affect that race? Especially DeSantis has seen us working with Biden on the recovery. He's been as complimentary as he can be.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, it's obviously hard to figure out what the political end of this is going to be. Usually, governors who govern through disasters see some political upside for that, especially Mm -hmm. when they work with the president. They have to. They have to. Um, It doesn't always work that way. You know, Charlie Chris knows well that, you know, he was a Republican governor back, back in the day and he hugged Obama when when Obama came down to Florida to um, talk about uh, economic relief. And that was, of course, the end of Charlie Crist's career as a Republican. Mm-hmm. So he understands well that there is some danger here. But, you know, DeSantis doesn't seem to be getting a lot of blowback in terms of working with the federal government. Though, of course, you know, we w- I think a lot remains to be seen in terms of what the pure level of devastation is and, you know, what the amount of federal help is needed because mm-hmm. he has, of course, not loved these headlines, obviously, about how he had voted against federal
0: aid in yes. previous circumstances. Mm, too bad that's what he did.
1: All uh, right. So you think... Biden's in. Biden, in your view, Biden is running again.
2: My view is that in Biden's view, Biden is running again. I think a lot could change, and I think that people sort of underestimate when he says, you know, My expectation is that I'm going to run again, except I know that history can intervene. You know, he is a man who knows a lot about tragedy and a lot about mortality Mm -hmm. and has thought, thinks about that all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I genuinely think that, you know, things could change. His health could take a turn. His family could go against it. But right now, he's certainly operating as if it's a go. And by the way, in 2020, he knew that it was a go long before he said it publicly. Even though he takes forever to make these decisions, his staff had to tell him, stop talking about this so openly because- you're going to trigger the FEC rules and mm-hmm. we're going to have to file your candidacy, yeah. you know, according to the laws. And the same thing has happened now. He knows that he cannot say, I'm running. He just has to say, I'm expecting. No, he's a
0: hundred. And by the way, much more successful legislatively. I mean, obviously it's, Obamacare was very important, but in, if you weigh them one-to-one, I think Biden has had the more successful presidency at this and
2: point. And that's on. a big part of their relationship these yeah. days. You, yeah. you can imagine they talk about that.
0: Yeah, but uh, Obama has more style apparently. I like Dark Brandon. I think that's also part of him. I don't know.
2: You, you and Joe both.
0: Uh, yeah, but he's like that. I He's like that, I, th- I totally. suspect. Yeah, Qu- that's all quite real. Ge- yeah. Quite genuine. Anyway, uh, the book is The Long Alliance, The Imperfect Union of Joe Biden and Barack Obama. Fascinating. It's going to be really interesting. Gabriel uh, De Benedetti, thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Gabriel. Thank you both.
0: All right, so I think we're like Biden-Obama. Which one would be Biden? Which one would be Obama? You're Obama.
1: I'm Obama? I'm shocked. Mm -hmm. I was shocked that you didn't, for the first time, I always learned more about you. I I Mm -hmm. would have thought you would, you like Obama less than I would have thought.
0: A lot less. Yeah. Isn't
1: that interesting? And what- Yeah, I've said that. Can you say more? What is it that you think he he deserves more scrutiny around?
0: The success of legislation. I think he, Mm -hmm. a lot of style. I think his post-presidency compared to like a Jimmy Carter, he has so much power um, and he's sort of
1: yeah, Hanging out with
0: celebrities, like, right?
1: He's on David Geffen's boat, yeah.
0: Yeah, right? And that's yeah. kind of disappointing. And I have to say, when I interviewed him, he didn't like pushback. And Biden, never that way. <laughs> very comfortable with pushback. Very comfortable with debate. Um, and um, just a more genuine, I think he doesn't get the credit he gets. That's why I backed him way back when. I was like, this you guy did? can win, One, mm-hmm. and this guy can get things done. And I do think that's mm-hmm. the case, I think making fun of his age. I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. And Obama's handsome, tall, smooth. Um, but um, he, re- Obama reminded me a lot of tech people I covered. I know it sounds crazy, but- Oh,
1: that hurts. I was like- That hurts. Yeah. Don't, well, say no, that that. <laughs> Don't say that about my hero.
0: Don't
1: say that. That's wrong. I, I,
0: listen, historically, such an important, historically. I just think when the assessments come, I, I think Biden- has had a more successful presidency in so thus far under very difficult circumstances, mm-hmm. and Obama could have done a lot more. That's my feeling. I was not hmm. as big a fan of him as others. It's interesting. Yeah, but I get I get the appeal. I get the I'm gonna get like strafed. But I've said this before. I don't care. I think Biden has been a very successful president under terror. Like, listen, he's got crazy. Crazy pants down in Florida, yelling him every crazy stuff all the time, and he's handled Mm -hmm. it with a lot of decorum, including the the attack on the Capitol. Uh, He could there's lots of ways he could have. I always look at people's choices. Anyway, but I hope Obama's enjoying his yacht going. All right, Scott, one more quick break. We'll be back for wins and fails. Hey Scott, let's hear some wins and fails. I'm going to go first. That yep. had, that uh, Bella Hadid spray-on dress, loved it. You're loved in? it. Yeah. Oh, fast, I didn't know where it was going mm-hmm. and I was like, "What is happening here?" And mm-hmm. then when the person the, my favorite part was the person who then cut it after they sprayed it on and mm-hmm. and then it was a dress and of course, like someone said, "I'd look like a bag of cats if you put that on me." But um but it was it was I loved it. It was so techie and interesting. And it was cool. Loved it. It was it, it made me like clothes. You know what I mean? Like, oh, here we are. We're making some clothes. And I thought that was kind of cool. I don't it know. Was that cool. was my that was my win. Um, you go for your win, and I'll think of a fail.
1: Well, you foreshadowed my win. My win is James Earl Carter Jr., better known as President Carter, who turned mm-hmm. ninety-eight wow. this past week. Such a good man. This is someone who served his country after graduating from the Naval Academy, served on several submarines, and then after the death of his father, took over a failing peanut farm and turned it into a a thriving business. He, mm-hmm. as president, he was a dark horse. There was a candidate who was a dark horse. He started the Department of Education, the Department of Energy, uh, was critical in SALT II talks, obviously had to deal with stagflation, was kind of dealt a bad hand. And then the October surprise, the failed mission, to rescue the hostages in Iran. He will go down, or has gone down, as an average to less than average successful president, but he is by far the most successful ex-president we've ever had. The moment he left office, he began building homes via uh, Habitat for Humanity, and at the age of 98, has been married to his wife, for, uh, Rosalind, for 76 years. I just She's don't- th-
0: fantastic.
1: Yeah, I just so. don't, I think you can't us- underestimate uh, how many wonderful Americans America produces, and this is one mm-hmm. of them. And Absolutely. I like the fact that he's 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 been given the gift of so much praise and what I call overdue recognition. I love the fact that he's gotten to share his life with the same person for three quarters of a century. I think he's a fantastic role model for a young really? men. Talk about um, a
0: great post-presidency. Now, that guy had lots best. of troubles as president. And it's hard to the, – the, the Reagan train was charming and fantastic. And I voted for Reagan, I mean, the first time over Jimmy Carter. And um, I have to say, this guy has shown us the way to behave as, a, as an ex-president. I think he's had the most stellar – I mean, it's cute with George Bush painting, but honestly – and this guy has done stuff, has done stuff, and used his podium in a way that is super moving and effective, I agree with you.
1: agree, so uh, my fail is the distinctive weddings or the pivot to the metaverse. I think it's mm-hmm. important that we remember that um, meta continues to be a menace to, to our society and not take responsibility. This week mm-hmm. in the UK, a coroner found that harmful online content likely to have contributed to uh, Molly Russell, a 14-year-old to her death, and he put in quotes, and this is unusual for a coroner mm-hmm. who, mm-hmm. they try to be very careful whenever they stray outside of trying sure. to to lay responsibility around uh, the death of somebody. He said that uh, harmful online content likely to have contributed to Molly's death in a more uh, a more than minimal way. Mm-hmm. And the father has decided to sue the company and saying, basically saying that, uh, 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 they're monetizing misery. And
0: monetizing misery, what a line. Go ahead. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, there's so much, there's this cultural and so much attention around this notion that has no evidence. There's mm-hmm. no factual basis. As someone who's the father of kids who spent the majority of their school age years at a school in Florida, as someone who served on the board of their kids' school, I have never seen any evidence, nor is there any peer reviewed evidence, that teachers are institutionally or systemically trying to pull the gay or the heterosexual tendencies of children out of them in school. I have never seen that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a culture war meant to rouse people, play to their worst instincts. But something that is true is that when algorithms from meta, when a kid who is shows no signs of mental illness, mm-hmm. when a kid who is thriving at school starts getting bullied online and starts contemplating suicide and then begins the algorithms recognize this, And no joke, Meta and Pinterest also begin serving her images of nooses, pills, and razors. So what these organizations are doing, and there's proof here, is they're pulling out of girls suicide. To normalize suicide,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. we speak so much about NASDAQ and all this bullshit, like, what's the point of, your, like, what's the point of any of this?
0: Um, oh, Scott, I know how you feel. I, I, it's, you know, you have sons. I have a daughter. I think about it all the time, all the time now, you know, as she grows up. And I think your feelings about it should be like most parents are very emotional and it's, uh, it, it requires that level of emotion. You know, what you're your, the feelings you're having because it really does matter. And I think at some point, you know, these companies have got to understand they're not completely to blame. Certainly, there's all kinds of societal pressures on girls and women and things like that. But this is taking it to a level that's really very clearly problematic. And I'm I, this, this case in Britain was really interesting. I think it should be more like it. Let's have it out in court is how you do it. Let's make the bastards pay.
1: Yeah. And what I want to say is, my emotion and my thoughts and prayers don't mean fuck mm-hmm. all. I hope people Google Molly Russell and, and get involved and advocate for holding uh, these companies responsible. These are problems that can be fixed. There is no way the brightest minds in the world couldn't figure out that this was a young girl and couldn't figure out that she was beginning to become comfortable with suicidal content. They yeah. could have figured that out and mm-hmm. they could have intervened. If you have, if you have a kid in any organization that starts talking about suicide,
0: mm-hmm.
1: whether it's a mass shooter and they start drawing images, people intervene. And yeah. these companies absolutely have the technology and the ability to intervene. Unfortunately, it would reduce their profits, it would be expensive, and I don't doubt it would be hard. Mm-hmm. It is overdue. Exxon lied to us, RJR lied to us, mm-hmm. the Sacklers lied to us, and the mm-hmm. people in Meta are lying to, the, to us. Yeah, we we should absolutely we'll hold it. these firms accountable.
0: I, I think what we have to do is see it in court. Let's see it in court. Let's see it. You know, if they say no, let's let's have a little court time to, to have some proof and go through it. But it should completely be scrutinized. And I think it's uh, um, an important point you're making here completely. My fail, I I, I don't know if it's a fail yet, but I, I do think we should talk about it on Thursdays. Uh, the Supreme Court is taking up two cases around Section 230. They involve terrorist content, but it could challenge broad immunities, as has happened before. But it's the first time it's gone to the Supreme Court. So much of this stuff is going to be going to the Supreme Court, by the way, and a lot of it is, a lot of these cases, because it's about our society as a whole, which is worrisome given this particular Supreme Court. But they're going to decide whether social media companies can be sued for hosting and recommending terrorist content. Hmm. Even though it's not the same, it's not that different. It's similar, Right. What can they be sued for? And so we'll see where that goes. Uh, I am worried about this particular Supreme Court, but I think it might free them up even more and we'll get in Citizens United kind of thing, Um, you know, in the interests of free speech kind of thing. So it's a very complex case, but we absolutely have to be thinking harder uh, about how we manage these very important communications things. And Scott, it's very appropriate for you to be upset by that. There you go. There you Um, go. God. Clara is three. <laughs>
1: She's three. She's three. She's How's three. How's Saul doing?
0: Oh, good. Jolly as ever. Eating everything in sight. Just fantastic. He's a fantastic kid. He's really great. They're all great. Alex is great. He approved of shoes I was wearing recently. So that was a big thing. And he's being very sweet, but it's because he's got a nice girlfriend, I think. He's <laughs> him in a better nice. mood. And Louie's coming down this weekend. And I'm so excited to see him. We're gonna have we're going apple picking. We're such, a, like, we're such a straight family. It's crazy. So, uh, yeah, we're picking apples. we're going to make uh, some applesauce for you. We'll send it to you in Britain. Really, we won't, but still. I really am very touched by the way you feel about this. Anyway, uh, we want to hear from you. Send us your questions about business tech or whatever's on your mind. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit a question for the show or call 855-51-PIVOT. Scott, that's the show. We'll be back on Friday for more. There's always going to be plenty to talk about, maybe even a settlement like we talked about with Elon. Who, Who knows? Uh, please read us out.
1: Today's show is produced by Lara Naaman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie Andrew Todd, this episode. Thanks also to Drew Burrows and Emil Saverio. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Box Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. Applesauce.